Next on Abounding Grace, we'll continue our look at how Jesus taught and demonstrated why he is in unity with the Heavenly Father. This is amazing grace. In a court of law, a witness is one who gives testimony, who has personally seen or perceived something. And we all know that serves as evidence. A good witness can make or break a case. Recently on the program, we've heard some radical claims to deity from Jesus, but how do we know it's true? Today on Abounding Grace, we'll encounter several very credible witnesses of Christ who establish his claims. Turn to John chapter five as we turn things over to Pastor Ed Taylor. We're in John chapter 5, following the footsteps of Jesus. He, he comes on the scene in John's gospel, and there are a couple things that he's doing. One, he is declaring and demonstrating his deity. Um, that's a fancy Bible way of saying that Jesus came on the scene to declare that he is God, fulfilling all of the prophecies of Messiah. Why? Because he is Messiah. So he didn't just say it, but he did it. In addition to declaring his deity, though, we also find Jesus declaring his unity with the Father. That he's not coming on his own. You know, in the time of Jesus in the first century, and even still to this day, there are many people that come on the scene and declare themselves to be Messiah. There are many people who go, I am Messiah. I am the Messiah promised in the scriptures. And even in Jesus' time, there were many people coming and saying that they were Messiah. And Jesus is demonstrating Not only is he demonstrating, but he is revealing himself, both his deity and his unity, in agreement with the Holy Trinity, the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's something you're going to see unfold among the many other things that we're learning in John's gospel. And I want to lay before you a few things that are very important to see. We've already studied them. But I want to lay them out in list form for you. A great time to start taking notes. So I have a few things I'm going to share with you today in list form. But I want to see already how he's demonstrated that he is in unity with the Father. For example, in verse 17, in chapter 5, he says, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. See, he's declaring, number one, he's a true reflection of the Father. A true reflection of the Father. He, he, my Father works on the Sabbath. He's been working, and I am working. That was a declaration of his deity in perfect unity with the Father. How do we know that? Because of verse 18. There's, there are cults and many isms today that declare and say, very matter-of-factly, Jesus never claimed to be God. But listen, over and over, not only did Jesus declare himself to be God and demonstrate himself to be God in human flesh... But the people that were in front of him, the people that were students of the Bible, or the Torah, the people that were listening to him, absolutely understood that he was claiming to be Messiah. Right here in verse 18 is, is one, that, one example, as we've already looked. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him. 
because he not only broke the Sabbath, remember their own little traditional laws, but he also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. They, they totally understood what Jesus was saying. They would know standing in front of him. So he's a true reflection of the father. Number two, he's also in full contact with the father. We see that in verse 19. In verse 19, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. He's in full contact with the father. As Jesus sees the father, he acts. And Jesus performed miracles only because he was in contact with the father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, Jesus is secure in the father. We see that in verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show you even greater works than these that you may marvel. There's something about the security of love. And it's very important that you see that that security that Jesus had was in love. And let me just say this. It's really not a Bible study on parenting or marriage. But understand, in any relationship, the greatest source of security is unconditional love. Unconditional love for one another. Your kids need to know that you love them unconditionally. Your husband needs to know you love him unconditionally. Your wife needs your friendships. That's where security is. Not just in word, but in deed and action. Unconditionally. Number four... We see that Jesus is in harmony with the Father in verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's also granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. A perfect harmony. We see over and over the Father raises the dead, the Father receives honor, the Father has life, so does the Son. At every step, perfect harmony. Number five, we see in verse 30 that Jesus is in perfect submission to the Father. Again, we're looking at how Jesus taught and demonstrated that he's in unity with the Father. He's not independently acting, but he's one with the Father. Notice, he's in submission in verse 30. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. And that's a very safe place for you and I to live. I don't seek my own. Jesus didn't have his own plan. Jesus didn't have his own program. Jesus didn't have his own agenda. He didn't come on the scene to do his own thing. He came in perfect unity and harmony and submission to the Father. And he lived in such a way that he only sought to do the will of the Father. So vital for us to grasp that. In just a few moments, I'm going to add a sixth to our list that's a part of our text today. But let's, for the sake of where we're at, let's pick up in verse 28 and cover some verses that we covered last time to get some context to jump into verse 31 where we left off. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. 
if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, this is a very important step in Jesus' teaching because he tells them, he recognizes and draws from their experience in the word. He says, if I was just coming on my own, my witness isn't true. And he's drawing back, you can jot it down in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. He's drawing back from a well-established truth in the scriptures. Listen, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any, any iniquity or any sin that he commits. But by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. Jesus says, In my revelation of myself to you and what I've come on the earth, I realized if it was just my witness, it wouldn't stand. It wouldn't stand in a court of law and it wouldn't stand in in the understanding and the truth of the scriptures. You need two or three to be established. He lays it out. I, I love, don't miss this. Because I think it's easy to miss, especially as we go from verse to verse and we aren't reading the whole narrative at once. The dialogue that he's having with the religious rulers here right now is very antagonistic. It's not the kind of dialogue that we have right now where you can speak and I can speak. and They're, they're very upset. They want to kill him. They just made a decision to kill him. Not, because, not just because... He broke the traditional Sabbath law, but because he's made himself equal with God, they are enraged at this point. And instead of Jesus just dealing with it, and he goes, you know what? I don't have to deal with this stuff. I'm God. Bam. And that's it. He doesn't do that. Instead, he takes the opportunity in the difficulty to share the gospel with them. He has patience to teach them. I mean, think about it in some of the conflict that's in your life right now (laughs) some of the difficulty that does create in us this response of i don't want anything to do with this i don't need to deal with this and to have that agape love flowing through us i mean it is otherworldly it's very spiritual from god to take opportunities even of great conflict and to walk somebody down a path to, to take them down a path of true spiritual life that's what jesus is doing here he's teaching them We know that it was fruitful because by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, the Bible declares that many priests were saved. I mean, already we've met Nicodemus, haven't we? Nicodemus was very intrigued by Jesus. And he comes to him at night and has all of these questions. And Jesus gives him the truth. I believe Nicodemus responds. I believe that truly as he's taught about being born again, true life comes to the brother. Why? Because of the patience of Jesus, the love of Jesus. Not everybody left Jesus. Not everybody left him with true spiritual life. I think of the rich young ruler who came with questions on his mind and instead chose his possessions over salvation. If he only knew that he gave up everything, he would gain everything. But he sought to keep what little he had and he lost everything. It's the same as true today. I see this unity. Jesus, so man, he's so beautiful. And I realize I'm, if I just came with my own testimony, you wouldn't receive it. There is another, verse 32, who bears witness of me, and I know that witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, verse 33, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But 
I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given to me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And, verse 37, the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have this word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. Verse 39, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. I don't receive honor from men. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. That's a sad verse. That's a sad. He's speaking to the religious rulers of the day. The ones that men and women would look to for spiritual guidance in their life. And and he's got a strong condemnation. We'll get back to it in a moment. But this is sad. You don't have the love of God in you. I mean, that is not something I want to hear from God ever in my life. He says in verse 43, I have come in my father's name and you don't receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. This is a little prophetic, isn't it? This is prophetic to, I believe, in the capital A and a Christ will come in the name as the Messiah of the world. And not only will the Jewish people receive him and and receive this half of the great tribulation, three and a half years of a peace pact with him, somehow he's going to solve the conflict in the Middle East. But not only that, but many of the world will follow the Antichrist. But I believe it's more than just that. I believe that there are many antichrists, like John said in 1 John, many antichrist spirits, things that are obviously against God that many people accept instead of him. Not just, you know, maybe little idols or idolatry or a life lived on our own way, our own agenda, whatever it might be. I think it's prophetic in more than one way. How many people will reject Jesus? And it, it always amazes me. It's so sad. It's so sad. The life, part of the life that God has called me to in the pastoral and leadership, spiritual leadership team in our church here is to walk into the difficulties of people's lives. And much of the difficulty in people's lives is how they have exchanged the true love of God for something that's false. They, they've embraced, I mean, we could easily say they've, they've, taken, they've chosen sin over the things of God, but it's much deeper than that. And you have someone, I just prayed with a brother last night, young, young guy, full of life and vibrancy. I've seen their family here for many months, but he came to me to ask for prayer so that I could pray for him as his wife has just abandoned him. Just, they're two kids, they're just so young. They've been together for a few years, they've been married, and and he just, she just decided to abandon, just, I don't love you anymore. And we're walking now through the pain of that, and his two children. And here he is on the other end of someone exchanging the truth for a lie. And it's not from the Lord. And we need to pray for this brother. You can remember him. God knows who he is. You can pray. And for every, I mean, over and over again, that's our life. Walking into the difficulties of people's lives. Exchanging and and taking something other than what the Lord has for them. So sad. He says in verse 44, how can you believe? who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? A strong rebuke. 
to these religious leaders that have already decided to kill him. He calls upon the witnesses, and a witness is very important, especially an eyewitness. And he lays before us at least five witnesses that attest to his deity and unity. The first one he mentioned is John the Baptist. Don't you? I love John the Baptist. He was a man of integrity, a man that was strong in his faith, a man that that lived what he said. And over and over, John declared Jesus' deity. Like in chapter 1, verse 23, he declared Jesus to be the Lord. In chapter 1, verse 29, he declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God, remember, that takes away the sins of the world. He would say in chapter 1, verse 34, that Jesus is the very Son of God. In a couple of other places, John, he would say that there's one coming. I'm not the true light, but there is one coming that I'm not even worthy to latch his sandals. He would say in another place that Jesus must increase and he must decrease. There's a witness for you. But there's also another witness. Number two was the works. The, the, witnesses, the witness that would verify Jesus as who he said was the works that he did. Verse 36. He says, I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me. So the miracles and signs that Jesus... Remember in John's gospel, I'll point them out to you as we, we've already looked at the water being turned into wine. We've already looked at the healing at the pools of Bethesda. Now, the, there are seven specific signs and miracles that John's going to point out that he specifically chooses to verify and validate that Jesus is the Son of God that's come to die for your sins. We've already looked at a few of them. They're a witness. Thirdly, God the Father is a witness. In verse 37, it says, The Father himself sent me and has testified of me. Verse 39, the word of God is a witness. They search the scriptures. They think they have eternal life, but really the scriptures testify of Jesus. Number five, Moses. I mean, Moses was very and still is very revered among the Jewish people. And he says, you guys don't even believe what Moses wrote about me in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. They all point to Messiah. So much typology in the scriptures that point to the revelation of Jesus who will come and die for the sins of the world. That lamb that was brought every single time on the day of atonement to be sacrificed, that lamb that was brought to be sacrificed for the family on the Passover was a picture and a type of the lamb of God that would take away this, the once and for all lamb that would take away the sins of the world. He says, you don't even believe Moses. That's five. You can add a sixth, and that was Jesus himself. He says, I testify on myself. I know on my, on my own, but now I'm the sixth. Now, don't you love Jesus? He gave two times the amount that's needed. He didn't give one. He didn't give two. He didn't give three. He gave six, six witnesses, six testimonies of the validation of his deity. And I love that. You know, it reminded me that Jesus will meet me where I'm at. Because I know that there are people listening to me right now, whether you're here in this room or you're out on the radio or watching on television right now, that are saying, you know what? You prove it to me. And, and, and we have to ask, how many times do you need it proven to you? How many times do you need something revealed to you? How many times do you need somebody sent into your life that has given you the gospel? How many times do you need a family member that gives you a Bible? How many times do you need to show that God has showed himself faithful that when you got in a jam and you cried out to God, God met you there 
That time you go, you know, God, I'll dedicate my life. This is so hard. And if you get me out of this jam, I will dedicate. How many times do you need God to get you out of the jam before you see that he's with you and for you? He sent his son Jesus to die for you. But the good news is this. The good news is this. Whatever you need, God will reveal it to you. And every single time, I want you to know the answer is the same. It comes in different ways, but the answer is the same. And that is the very cross of Jesus Christ where he died for your sins, leading to the empty tomb where he rose again to prove everything that he said is true, the power of the resurrection. And I love that Jesus will meet you where you're at. He, doesn't, he didn't come to condemn and to judge. He came to save. But might I add this warning? Might I add a little bit of bad news to stir your mind? You're not promised tomorrow. So if you're waiting for that great revelation tomorrow, you're not even promised tomorrow. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And I was just texting with a friend yesterday. I think it was with Frank yesterday. And I just, the Lord just laid on my heart. Every day is today. And today is the day of salvation. So don't keep putting it off. This is Abounding Grace, and Pastor Ed Taylor is our Bible teacher and the pastor of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime of the day or night at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to grow on the go is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. And we have a couple of podcasts as well. You can listen to Abounding Grace and Lead to Serve wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, By the way, that's Lead, the number two, Serve. Well, Pastor Ed, all month long, we've been talking about your book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. Now, here's an idea. Maybe our listeners can think of someone right now in their life that has a troubled heart. Perhaps giving them a copy could be a tool God uses to minister to them. Well, I have to say, Larry, we're very encouraged and, quite frankly, surprised at how many thousands of copies of this book have gone out, both to minister to people and as a gift to minister to people. I've got a copy in my hand right now, and on the back I wrote, we all go through some type of suffering in life. We all have troubled hearts. How we get through it and the refinement that takes place in the middle of it is defining. And I would encourage you to pick it up. It's a a great resource that we continue to use here at Calvary to encourage and to strengthen. It goes together with a Bible study series that I did here at Calvary on the same topic. We titled it God's Help for the Troubled Heart. And remember, I know you guys know this, but I, some of you perhaps for the first time are listening or didn't hear a previous program, but the book was born out of my personal grief and sorrow and sadness. Uh, it was given, I believe, as an instruction from the Lord to teach a series of Bible studies to our church to help our church in, be encouraged because we were all grieving together after the death of my, the tragic and unfortunate death of my son, Eddie, uh, back in 2013. So I, I taught this series of studies and then we edited them into book form. And I'm just so encouraged by it. Uh, I know that the Lord has used it. I know that he's going to use it. I, I just sent a copy out yesterday. Personally, I received an, a letter from a family that was a part of our church back in 19... 19- Uh, 99, back in the early 2000, they ended up there in the military and they ended up getting uh, transferred to Virginia real quickly. But here we are 22 years later, uh, still connected. 
and they had shared with me in that handwritten letter that they too suffered the tragic loss of their son for different reasons, different circumstances, but painful nonetheless. So I jot them a note and popped a, one of these books in the mail to them because I just know the Lord will use it, encourage them, and really just get their eyes on the Lord or back on the Lord. So I'd encourage you, pick it up, whether you wherever you get books, you can go to our online store and buy multiple copies. If you want to buy them in bulk, you can call the office, talk to my assistant, Julie. But I do appreciate the, the partnerships and the connection. And remember, any of the books that I write or that we produce here uh, thus far, all the proceeds, all the net proceeds go to our missionaries. Uh, so you're blessing uh, twice, right? You're, you're blessing the person that's going to get it, and you're also, any of the excess net proceeds go to our missionaries, and they get blessed at the end of the year. So God bless you guys. Have a great day in the Lord. Get a copy of God's Help for the Troubled Heart, either for yourself or to give to a friend or a family member. You can order it at calvaryco.store or call 877-30-GRACE. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.